Thank you. All right, I'm going to invite Bill up, and uh, I'll pray for him this morning as we get going. Let me pray. Oh, okay. <laughs> I want to pray for you guys. Uh, thank you. Yeah, come over here. Father, we need your word all over the world. Yeah. Uh, our world's in such a chaotic situation at this point. We thank you for their drive, their willingness to serve you, to live for you daily. We thank you for their witness for you, uh, the gifts that you've given them, and we pray that you will continue to use them, uh, give them safety, support, everything that they need, Father, because we know that that's what you promise. And we thank you for that opportunity for them to go. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank Thanks, Leah. Thanks, Devin. Well, how many of you uh, had anything to do with faith this morning? Um, any chance you got in a car and drove here? I mean, we're talking about trust issues, guys, and other types of faith, too. You flipped on a switch this morning, didn't you? And uh, the light came on, and you just did it. Didn't think about it. Uh, it's just the way it goes. And so much of the time, that's the way our, our life um, works, isn't it? We uh, <laughs> do things without even thinking about why. Um, it's quite interesting how it uh, just kind of unfolds almost automatically uh, in many ways. But that's not the way we really want to live our lives on automatic. Um, we're going to talk this morning uh, about a couple things. What faith is, which you may not have ever known. Some of you think that you can buy it over at Walmart, you know, in aisle three. A bag of it and bring it back. People talk about it this way. Uh, well, you just don't have enough faith. And I say, well, where? Where do we get that? Uh, how does it come about? Uh, what kind of faith are we supposed to have? Well, uh, think about uh, maybe two or three things of what faith is not. Uh, one thing it's not for sure is uh, don't ever trust your golden retriever to guard a bacon sandwich. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Now, that's just common sense, right? Um, but we walk through life like this oftentimes. Just thinking things are going to happen because that's the way it's always been. We've depended on it, etc. Sometimes to us, our faith is just purely subjective, what we think it maybe should be. It's like religious feeling divorced from the objective truth of God's revealed word, his plan, his timing. Um, do we just run on religious feeling? Feeling's good. God created us with it, it's okay. I laughed uh, one Christmas. We were down at a big church. I can't even remember what city we were in, but it was, it was pretty incredible. Thousands of people in this church, and it was a, a Christmas time, Christmas service, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, there were laser lights, and there was smoke coming up off the platform and everything like that. And my oldest son leaned over to my wife and said, Boy, nothing says Christmas like laser lights and smoke. You know, and, and just, they were establishing the feeling of, 
Let's, this is great. This is wonderful. This is, but it was a feeling. And unfortunately, through the rest of the service, there wasn't much said about who Jesus is, what the Bible says, what it teaches, why it's effective in our hearts and in our lives as well. Now, personally, I kind of like those big services with all the stuff. I kind of like that. But man, it can sure blind me to what's important as well. Subjective faith is one of those kinds of faith that biblical faith is not. Um, credulity, accepting something is true, if it's credible, accepting something is true, apart from the evidence simply because we earnestly wish it's true. Boy, I just want it to be true, so it, it probably is. And somebody will say to you, well, that's what you think. You know, because nobody ever agrees with everybody, and they certainly don't agree with us all the time on what we wish to be true. Uh, and sometimes we treat Scripture that way as well. And then there's this thing called optimism, which, uh, are you a glass half full or a glass half empty type of individual? And you've heard that expression before. It's pretty normal to uh, accept things um, like this. If we, if we think it and say it often, it'll happen. Uh, Norman Vincent Peale uh, established the idea of positive thinking. He wrote a book called Positive Thinking. This was a number of years ago. Uh, there were more people, by the way, in the earlier service that understood who Norman Vincent Peale was than in this service. And I have no idea why. Um, on the last page of one of his best-selling books, he, he published all the time in things like Reader's Digest as well, but he wrote a lot of books too. On the last page, he said, well, if you want to go through life well, just say, Every morning when you get up, say, I believe, I believe, I believe. And just in the repetition of that, everything would be okay. Um, in Mark chapter 9, verse 23, and if you'll pop that up uh, for me, that'd be great. I, <laughs> if you can believe, Jesus says, all things are possible to him who believes. Uh, and you look at that passage and you think, well, all I gotta do is believe. And this and it'll happen. And so many people teach that passage, and of course we're we've taken that particular passage out of its context, out of the whole of what it says, and it, we leave this part unmemorized. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief. Addressed, addressed to Jesus. In, in um, Mark chapter 9, verse 29, it goes on to say, uh, the demons that are present here that we are talking about, and we are talking about casting out, and the disciples, they come to Jesus and said, they don't respond to us. What's the deal? And he said, these only come out with prayer and fasting. And I'm thinking... Well, what did he mean by that? I mean, it's obvious kind of what he meant by that, prayer and fasting. But you have to think of what Jesus meant by prayer. He meant talking to him, being related to him. I've often said this, and I, I don't know if you're going to buy this or not. 
Were the disciples praying whenever they talked to Jesus? What do we think of as talking to God? We don't think of Jesus as who he is. Scripture says very clearly that he's divine. And we forget that walking and talking with him is what he was illustrating to the disciples as an illustration to us of how we can live our life with him. On a daily basis, walking, talking, moving with him, praying without ceasing. In other words, being in a relationship with him. Words not necessary. But your action of walking with him, critical. That's what faith is from Scripture, from a biblical point of view. It's doing, as we read in uh, several passages in Scripture, uh, hearing and, and doing. And let's look at another passage um, as well. Matthew 17, verse 20. Jesus replies in, in the same situation, by the way, uh, this recorded in Matthew 17, uh, as well as Mark chapter 9. Um, because you have so little faith, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And it sounds like, huh, all I have to do is say these words, and magic will happen. It'll take place. So many people that are not Christians, that is, they don't believe in what Scripture tells you and says, they say, I don't believe because you guys just believe in this magic stuff, mystery stuff. It's all on the basis of what you think and what you do. And they miss out on what God does and who he is. We have a tendency to be pretty self-involved, huh? Maybe that's the sin of the Garden of Eden. Pride, self-inflated, that kind of thing. I'm sure that's probably the case. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4, which is our next, next slide, uh, faithful Jews uh, believe this creed that's called the, the Shema, or as they would say it, the Shema. Um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And it goes on from there. James comments on it in uh, the second chapter of James, um, verse 19. He says this, you believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that. Wow, that's kind of an eye-opener. James is saying, you believe, the demons believe, they believe all of it. They've heard it all. They know that it's true. They lived in the light of God's word, and they've rejected it and put it aside. The acceptance of a creed is not enough to save a person, obviously. To prove his point, of course, James declares the demons believe and they shudder. They're, they're afraid. It's evidence that they understand it as God's word, powerful, true as well. The demons are afraid. However, the response is also evidence that faith their faith is not saving faith. In other words, it's not biblical type faith. 
Just having this uh, intellectual acceptance of some kind of theological proposition. You know, just uh, earning your PhD in Sunday school or maybe church over the years uh, by your attendance and listening and hearing isn't what biblical faith is all about. It goes deeper, obviously. Involving one's whole inner being and expressing itself outwardly, uh, of course, in, in a changed life. It's, it's a move from um, me just uh, believing hard that I can do this to Jesus Christ is the object of our faith. I, I laughed reading about Larry. You guys may have seen this several years ago. Uh, he flew up into FAA restricted airspace out in California in a Sears lawn chair with helium balloons tied to it. He carried a BB gun and a two liter bottle of Coca-Cola. And he flies into in that airspace up there. And I'm thinking, I don't trust Sears lawn chairs. Not after a few months. You know how that works. And yet he had, he had this trust going in, in this thing. He put his whole life's weight there on, on that particular uh, event, which I, I think is still absolutely remarkable. Uh, I may think of something like that when I read Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or this passage from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 2, verse 20, where he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. That's an interesting phrase. Obviously, he's still living physically, he says. Because he is there. But he says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Um, looking through the book of John, you guys have noticed that John says over and over, Christ in you. You in Christ. I, some 50 times. That idea of being permeated by the one that we say has saved our lives. Jesus is the object of our faith. Matthew chapter 9, verses 27 uh, and on through a couple verses. A, a couple blind men came to Jesus and asked uh, them to heal him. And Jesus first asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Did you notice where I paused there? Do you believe that I am able to do this? He consistently kept saying, I am. It means the self-existent one, the one that's never been created, the one that holds the universe in his hands. We read that in Colossians chapter 1, for instance, that he holds it by his power that everything holds together. You know, the strong and the weak forces that they talk about in physics that you don't remember too much more about it than that. He's the one, the unseen that holds everything together. Without that, we would fly apart as well. And that's the case here. Uh, Jesus Christ is the object of our faith. And he says, do you believe that I'm able to do this? 
the blind men want to be healed. And their reply was, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were open. Well, what kind of faith did they have? It was faith in him. Scripture is very careful to say that. It wasn't just faith. A feeling that they wanted to see again. Which no doubt they did want to. And they felt strongly about this, obviously. Scripture is full of those kinds of illustrations. The, the woman that came to Jesus, with an, she'd been bleeding for months, years, and she risked her life to come and just to get close to him, touch him. What was the integral in her face? Jesus Christ. Integral in her faith. Old Testament faith, of course, is illustrated all the time, but I love this story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, in Daniel uh, chapter 3, verses 16 and on. Uh, and uh, they reply to, to Nebuchadnezzar, uh, who's about to throw them in a, in a fiery furnace for not bowing down to him, basically. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, get this, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. In other words, whether you answer our personal desire or not, that's not what was controlling them. What was controlling them was their desire to do what God wanted them to do in the middle of an unbelievably hard situation. How would we react in that kind of situation? Well, you know how you would react in those kinds of situations when there's been a death in the family, when a child has died, when uh, you've been diagnosed with a particular fatal disease, when it goes on and on, the same kind of situation. Will our faith carry us through? Not if it's just a simple desire for faith to carry us through. It's for Jesus Christ who permeates our life, who is our life, that will carry us through. But we want his will in the middle of that situation. Biblical faith is surrounded and permeated by God's will for us. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, and Jim will get to Habakkuk, I think. Uh, he's going to go through Nahum next week. And Habakkuk, he's right in the neighborhood. Chapter 2, verse 4. The just or righteous will live by faith. Now, it's so interesting that the first part of that verse that I just didn't quote talks about pride. And then the contrast is the just or the righteous will live by faith. In other words, not by pride, not what they want, not what they desire, but what God wants. Some of the commentators made me laugh because they, 
they, they said the first part of this passage, see the enemy is puffed up, his desires are not upright. They, they translated it like this. They're like bloated frogs hopping from one disaster to another. That word puffed up means bloated. And I can just see it in my mind. It's a word picture, isn't it? That's very prevalent. It, it, it pops right up. Real faith isn't based on individual attitudes and feeling. Um, in the distortions that we initially talked about, subjective faith, just the power of positive thinking, etc., in those distortions, um, faith is unstable. Uh, the object of faith shouldn't be just the facts nor clever arguments um, or even a divine offer of some sort and not a theological statement. Biblical faith is literally in the person of Jesus Christ. Faith in Him is what saves, not just believing promises that have been said to us and repeated over and over or just accepting facts about him. I've had numbers of people come to me well, uh, upon occasion and they say, well, here's one of God's promises and I've, I've been uh, reading this promise over and over and over again and it just doesn't seem to be happening. And if they have put their faith in that black and white promise on the page and not what the, who the promise is about, there's a problem in our faith. It's not that the promises aren't important, but they always point towards the one that saves our life. Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 1, uh, gives us a definition of faith, and, and I think it's kind of a good one. Uh, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. Um, that word assurance is oftentimes translated confidence, reality, um, a firm foundation. Faith is the firm foundation. Faith is the real being, the actual existence, the substantial nature, uh, the resolute trust. And we found uh, archaeologically uh, that that word is translated often just the way that people would read it and understand it in the business language of the day, it refers to a title deed. It refers, of course, to a guarantee of, of the right to possess a certain property. And you, you, you know a bit about deeds and that sort of thing. And by the time you get that all set up and, and shut away somewhere... Uh, we know that even those things are unstable. <laughs> Power of eminent domain. All of a sudden, you're just not there anymore. You're kicked off of your property. You don't have it anymore. And you say, it's, but it's mine. I've got this paper. Faith isn't like that either, but it is called the title deed. But it depends on who's given it, who's holding it, and who's going to guarantee it. And in this case, God's title deed rests on His nature. 
truth that's trusted, infallible, (laughs) faithful. We stand by his promises. He's omnipotent so he can carry out what he says is the case. And that's exactly what he's going to do. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10, we read, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. For by grace you have been saved by means of, through faith, and that not of yourselves. And then it says it. What's that it referring to? Well, it's referring to almost everything that comes before in that letter to the Ephesians, and it's referring to salvation itself. And salvation, part of which, of course, is God's grace and faith. Both of those things are gifts to us. Faith isn't something that we can go buy somewhere. It's not something that we can kind of muster up or practice or just think really hard. And then everything will happen. Faith is something that God wakes up in us by the person of his Holy Spirit. And he brings that not just to our minds, but to our hearts as well. So our, our mind and our emotions and our will becomes involved with him. <laughs> You'll notice that the passage also said, uh, we are his workmanship created in Christ. Uh, that's such an interesting thought because the first part of Ephesians chapter 2 goes into great detail on how we are dead spiritually and we need to be made alive. It brings back to mind that story of Jesus encountering Nicodemus in John chapter 3, where he says to him, you must be born again. You know, you have to become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Literally, Jesus is talking to him and saying, you don't know this? You don't know that uh, we're dead spiritually and we need to be raised to life? That's part of his work in workmanship. We are his workmanship. We're made alive in him for a purpose, it says. We're given new birth, literally new creation, so that we'll be able to do what he has literally created us for. There's a passage in Romans chapter 10 that uh, continues this kind of thought Um, in totality it it reads like this how then can they call on the one they have not believed in and how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard and how can they hear without someone preaching to them and I think uh, Stephan and Alea and feet on the mountains when I think of this passage how can they preach unless they're sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Then in verse 17, it says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard 
through the word of Jesus, the word about Jesus Christ. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, we read the Shema, or the Shema. Hear, O Israel, it says. Hear, O Israel. Uh, that word is, it means the same in the Old Testament as it does uh, in the Greek language in the New Testament as well. There's more to hearing than just uh, using our ears, more than listening up. You remember when, well, I remember when my mom sent me down to this creepy basement that we had in this old house. Scared me to death as a kid to go down there in the first place. And I'd, I'd be scared and I'd come back upstairs and she said, did you get, get what I wanted? I said, no, I, I, I didn't. And uh, she said, well, get down there and, and get this. And I come back up and five or ten minutes goes by and uh, she said, hey, did you get what I, no, I, I didn't. She said, didn't you hear me? And I say, well, yeah, I heard you. And then she says, then why didn't you do it? Hearing and doing. It's the same word in both the Greek language and the Hebrew language. So when God says that he hears you, what does that mean? It means he's already in the business of answering. He's acting. He's moving. It's all in the same. And it moves like that. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. But that word hearing, what does it mean in addition to hearing? It means putting it to work. Doing. If you hear God's word, his intent is for you to be active in it as well. John 3.16, which you're familiar with, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have ever, everlasting life. Uh, that word believe shows up a, a, as the verb 99 times in the Gospel of John. Believe, 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 believe. Believe who? Believe what? And he goes on to tell you. And we can't just leave that out because part of biblical faith, understanding what faith means from our Creator's point of view, is living as he is saying we should live. That produces joy in the Christian life, by the way, uh, as well. Well, Jesus is, is personal. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, which is, I think, uh, one of the last slides. Uh, Without faith, it's impossible to, to please him. Well, we want to please God, but what kind of faith is it? It's not that subjective feeling kind of faith. Again, feelings are involved in this, but not just by themselves. Without it, it's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Listen to what Max Licato says about faith. Faith is not the belief that God will do what you want. It's the belief that God will do what is right. Here's a quote from C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors. Faith, in the sense in which I am using here, the word, is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted as true in spite of your changing moods. Isn't that kind of an interesting way to say it? 
I, I think that that's true. Holding on to what's, what's truth in spite of my moods as well. Knowing God, knowing who He is, coming to know Jesus Christ. We know about God because we study Scripture. Uh, we, we listen to each other as we speak about our experience walking with Him. We know Him through prayer, talking, listening, hearing, and putting it to work, what we hear as well. I want to close with a couple quotes um, from some scientists. My, my background is in the sciences. Uh, um, I'm a veterinarian by, by training and profession, but uh, you know, when you, when you come through the sciences in our, our school system here in the West, it's mostly atheistic. I, almost 100% in, in my particular experience. I just didn't believe that there was a God. And they taught evolutionary theory as fact, etc., which, by the way, has been pronounced bankrupt over the last 15 years. It's just not viable any longer. But it's still being taught, of course, as truth. But listen to a couple of these quotes from uh, some guys that are way smarter than I am, and you'll realize as you hear the quotes. There are good reasons to believe in God, including the existence of mathematical principles and order in creation. They are positive reasons uh, based on knowledge rather than default assumptions based on a temporary lack of knowledge. This is from uh, Francis Collins, who's a geneticist. You know him as the, the leader of the Human Genome Product and uh, was the director of the National Institute of Health in the U.S. And he's saying there are good reasons to believe in God. Man, I never heard that going up through my school schooling. What I did hear was a guy across from me in a chemistry lab that said, you know who has all this stuff working right and working orderly so it's predictable? And I said... I'm suspicious that you're going to say God. And he did. And you know, as I continued to study that kind of stuff, it became obvious to me that what I had learned in Sunday school and church growing up, and I was there all the time, that was my mom's doing mostly. And this is Francis Collins, this guy that's it's brilliant, and he says, uh, not only is there a God, but it's, it's uh, based on reason, knowledge. Huh. <laughs> the significance and joy in my science comes in those occasional moments of discovering something new and saying to myself, so that's how God did it. My goal is to understand a little corner of God's plan. This is Henry Schaefer, five-time Nobel Prize nominee. 
director of the Center for Computational Quantum Chemistry. Don't know what that means. Has to do with cooking eggs, stuff like that. Here's a quote from Robert Griffiths. If we need an atheist for a debate, we go to the philosophy department. The physics department isn't much use. Both religion and science require a belief in God. For believers, God is in the beginning, and for physicists, he is at the end of all considerations. To the former, he is the foundation. To the latter, the crown of the edifice of every generalized world view. From Max Planck, Nobel Prize winning physicist. Um, founding quantum physics. These are guys that are, you know, way smarter than me and it shows in just the language that they use as well. Who we know we'll trust. Do you know him? Are you willing to find out about him? Are you willing to put to work what he says so that you really get to know him? Who we know will trust and who we trust will obey. Now I know that that word obey rankles some of you. Did me for a long time. But it's okay to obey when the things you're taught to obey are right. They're not misplaced. They're not going to be damaging. They're going to be healing and helpful. Knowing about God is different than knowing God. Don't sit in church and just learn about God. My prayer for you is that you'll begin to know Him as well. Let me close with prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time together. Uh, Help us to meditate on your word, to apply it, Not just to listen, but to listen and do. And we thank you for the opportunity that you give us so consistently to walk with you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.